0: Our story dates back in the 1930s, when Cebu City was in the midst of transformation from an old Spanish outpost to a bustling hub of trade and commerce. Ships and cargoes would dock on its harbor, importing a variety of products from the US and Europe while carrying copra, hemp, and seashells on their backhaul. It's only 5 a.m. on a Monday, yet a 13-year-old boy named John wakes up early to greet his father before he prepares for school. John Sr. traveled back to their ancestral home in Fujian, China, and is scheduled to return that very morning.
1: Ma, has papa returned from his trip? Not yet. His ship must have been delayed. Okay. But please don't tell him yet that I am graduating top of my class. It will be my big surprise. Sure, son.
0: John's great-grandfather, Pedro, was a typical impoverished young Chinese migrant who came to Cebu in search for a better life. Through perseverance and hard work, he had successful business ventures and established Gutialko Hermanos Incorporated, a trading company which buys and sells rice, copra, and abaca. But this isn't the reason why John's family is well-off. His father, John Sr., made his fortune through owning a string of film houses in the city. Bye, Ma. John bids farewell to his mother as he enters their chauffeur-driven car to take him to one of Cebu's most expensive schools, the University of San Carlos. His driver takes Calle Colón, the country's oldest street. It is filled with horse drawn carriages, the main mode of transportation for commuters, and with peddlers pushing their carts full of vegetables on their way to Carbon, a public market nearby. An interesting movie banner catches his eye as they pass by Vision Theater, one of the cinemas his father owns.
1: Oh, I know! I will invite my friends to watch that movie with me after school. Since my father owns the cinema, We don't have to pay anything.
0: John and his friends watch the movie for free, as planned, and his driver takes him back home afterwards.
1: Ma, is papa back? Oh, hi Tito Manuel.
0: His mother, along with his four younger siblings, quietly sitting in the living room with his uncle, Manuel.
1: Son, I'm so sorry. Your father passed away.
0: (laughs) Shortly after his father's passing, banks would take ownership of their business and foreclose all their properties, including their place of residence. John's life of privilege at a young age all of a sudden turned upside down. At this very moment, he had no idea that he needed to hit rock bottom in order to rise into becoming one of the richest and most influential business magnates in the Philippines. everyone, and In celebration of the Lunar New Year, this episode of Bananaki Podcast will feature compelling life stories of two Filipino Chinese tycoons and their journey in building their business empire. We start with John Robinson Lim Gokongwei Jr., who became used to living a comfortable life until his father passed away to typhoid fever. His mother had to sell all her remaining jewelry just to put food on the table. <music>
1: Son, I don't think we can manage living like this We sold everything else the bank did not take and the money is only enough for us to last one more month I've decided we should all go back to our hometown in Fujian, China for us to survive No ma, I will stay Because I graduated valedictorian, I will have scholarship to continue my studies (laughs) My son I don't recognize you. When did you become so grown up? Okay, I will take your younger siblings to China. And I will come back for you, okay? Please be strong.
0: John's mother comes back to Cebu and she cooks peanuts, packs them in little bags, and John sells them on the street. Peanuts! Peanuts, bye! Peanuts! This is John's first entrepreneurial experience. There are days when sales are slow, and so they can't send enough money to China, which means his siblings are barely eating one meal a day. Two years pass and World War II breaks out. John, in his young mind of 15, sees an opportunity to make more money. Even though they are making so little profit from selling peanuts, John did not forget to save some for the future. He realizes that stores which used to provide basic goods got either burned down or voluntarily closed because the proprietors fled to the mountains in fear of the war. He decides to sell three items he thinks will be on high demand during the war. Bars of soap, spools of thread, and candles. He rides his trusty bicycle to the market every day with vigor and determination. He gets up earlier than the rooster could even make their first crow. He earns 20 pesos a day enough for food, send money to China, and then some to buy more soap, thread, and candles. Two years pass, and John is seventeen. Ma, I have enough money to buy more goods, but there are not enough buyers in the market. I need to go to Manila. I am sure I can sell more.
1: But how are you going to get there?
0: Don't worry. A fellow seller in the market told me about this small boat called Batel that will take me to Lucena in about five days if there's wind. From there. I will ride a truck for about six hours to reach Manila.
1: Okay, son. Let me prepare some rice and dried fish for you to eat on your trip.
0: Thanks, Ma. Those are my favorite. John loads his goods to the Batel. That day, he decided to sell tires. He couldn't help but notice that the other passengers, also peddlers of other goods like rice and sugar, were at least twice his age. They found the trip, long and boring. But for John, he found them exciting because he would bring along a book from his father's collection, those that were not deemed valuable by the bank, but to him were his most prized possessions. He would learn a lot about life, business, and most of all, about himself. That day, the wind is strong, and he estimates they will reach Lucena at least three hours earlier than scheduled. In fact, it is too strong, the water too turbulent, that the boat hits a rock, and water begins to seep in. He decides to throw his tires out to lessen the load, but the boat is sinking too quickly. What to do now? Is this the end? Is this how I'm going to die? He notices that the tires he threw are floating. Quick, everyone, grab a tire. Let's float our way ashore. Everyone reaches to the port safely and begins to thank John for saving their lives.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: No, no, no. Thank you for saving my tires. Now I can still sell them in Manila. Okay. The war ends and optimism fills the air. People want to buy more stuff. But there simply isn't enough goods to buy, not enough sellers in the market. John sees this opportunity and becomes bolder with his business aspirations. He has enough money to take his siblings back to Cebu to study in the morning and help him out in the business after school. He begins traveling to the US to get more items to trade. This is the birth of Amasha Trading, the company John established to import flour, onions, fruits, used clothing, old newspapers and magazines from the United States. Their house in Borromeo Street is now converted to a warehouse and office. They sleep next to the sacks and cartons of products they have imported. It is all worth it. Because of the shortage of goods, customers flock to John's warehouse and his business flourished. John, now 24, is in front of the mirror while talking to his mother. Ma, how do I look?
1: Oh, iho, that shirt suits you well. Is that from the batch of Okai Okai that arrived this morning?
0: Yes, it is. I'm not going to sell this. I'm wearing this tomorrow for my date with Elizabeth. Oi. Elizabeth Yu is the 17-year-old daughter of a fellow entrepreneur who sells hardware goods. John courts Elizabeth for four years, which he describes as an even tougher experience than doing business. They are happily married and continue to expand their trading business. It has been 10 years into his trading business when a regulation was created that increased tariffs to control the flow of imported goods into the country. This is a significant threat to John's business, and so he decided to create his own products locally. He starts manufacturing a very basic commodity, cornstarch. There is nothing sexy about cornstarch, but because it is a raw material used in several other products like ice cream, medicine, and beer, Demand is almost always assured. In the decades that follow, John's business expands even further by not just manufacturing products, but by creating brands that would compete with that of international companies. Blend 45, an instant coffee mix is a major hit and becomes a very popular brand. Several others find their way into Filipino households as well. Chippy, Cheese Curls, Nips, Cloud9, Max Candy, C2 Green Tea, Payless instant noodles and many more. Soon, John owns a lot of brands that it makes sense for him to have his own mall. Robinson's department stores and malls begin sprouting in major urban areas. John also ventures into telecommunication space by creating Sun Cellular, the first company to introduce 24/7 call and text unlimited. He also revolutionizes the aviation industry by introducing the country's first low cost carrier and eventually becoming the biggest airline in the Philippines, Cebu Pacific Air. John becomes the third richest man in the Philippines after amassing a net worth of 5.8 billion US dollars. He is also a well known philanthropist who donated billions to charity through Gokongwei Brothers Foundation. John, aged 93, and Elizabeth, aged 85, both pass away in November 2019 and are succeeded by six smart, business-savvy children who now manage the conglomerate their father built from selling peanuts.
1: Our next Chinese tycoon is also born in Fujian, China, in the 1920s. His parents give him a name which means to attain ultimate success. In contrast to John Gokongwei, his family is poor. At age 12, he travels from Fujian to help out his father who owns a small store in Manila. Life is hard in China and he imagines that life in the Philippines is better because his father is able to steadily send them money. When he arrives in Manila, he is surprised to find that his father is operating just a small Sari Sari store along Carriedo He helps out as best as he can, selling rice, sardines, and other goods They do okay until... World War II happens The store is burned down and looted, along with the rest of Manila Zicheng, we have lost everything, Pack your bags We are returning to China.
0: No, Papa. I am staying.
1: But we don't have any money left.
0: I have 10 centavos. I know this is not much, but I have a dream. I know I can make things happen. You named me to attain success. I can do that here.
1: It is not easy to be all alone in the Philippines. He misses his family terribly, but fights back tears as he writes them letters. His father's frugality... Hard work and devotion to family inspires him to do the same, as he studies and works at the same time. After high school, he takes up an Associate of Arts degree in Commercial Studies at the Far Eastern University, but later gives up formal schooling to set up his own business. After the war, business opportunities are limited because of the devastation with goods in great shortage. Everyone is into buy and sell, so he decides to do the same. He has a brilliant idea, a shoe business. Of course, everyone needs a pair of shoes. He opens three shoe stores in three years, naming them Plaza, Paris, and Park Avenue. All of them are in Carriedo, which is known for its heavy pedestrian traffic.
0: Hmm, this isn't really sustainable. I don't want to have to think of a new name each time I open a new store. Maybe I should just come up with one name for easier recall. Hmm, what should it be? Aha! Shoe Mart.
1: He opens the first Shoe Mart store in 1958, thinking that if he could sell a pair of shoes to every Filipino, then he would attain ultimate success. Just like his parents dreamed for him. Shoes lead him not only to prosperity, but also to a pretty Chinese lady whom he spots in a shoe stall called King's Shoes just across his shoe mart. Should he go talk to her? What if she snubs him? That would be so heartbreaking. If only talking to women were as easy as setting up businesses. But that smile, it can't hurt to say hello, surely? He crosses the street
0: good morning miss i just wanted to say hello and introduce myself since we're neighbors and all
1: well hello neighbor
0: my name is henry c i own the shoe mart across the street
1: well it's a pleasure to meet you henry i am felicidad Dan. my father owns this shop see that wasn't so bad they continue to talk and he finds out that she loves going to mass He starts joining her at her favorite Chiapo church. Eventually, they fall in love, get married, and have six children. Henry is a true visionary, thinking well ahead of the competition. He introduces air conditioning at the Shoe Mart when others feel it unnecessary. He draws customers to his store and its wide selection of shoes. Shoe Mart inevitably becomes a household name. His business soon evolves to selling not just shoes, but an entirely new lifestyle anchored on four core businesses. Retailing, banking, real estate, and tourism development. With this expansion, it becomes known simply as SM. Come on in, look at what we've got. There's so much more in just one stop. Here at SM, we've got it all.
0: Side man, we've
1: got it
0: all here everyone
1: here at SM, it's all at SM Here at SM We've got it all for you In 1985, Henry blazes the trail with the opening of SM City on North Edsa. Older and more experienced property developers scoff at him for putting up a mall in what they think is the middle of nowhere. But in North Edsa, he sees a crossroads of people from central Luzon and northern Metro Manila, an untapped foot traffic from Quezon City residents, and motorists and commuters passing along the metropolis's main thoroughfare. He proves to be right and afterwards, rivals build other malls in the heavily congested area. As he builds up his business, Henry continues to follow the frugal lifestyle of his father, spending only the salary he gives himself and plowing back into the business, whatever profits it earns In 1994, SM is incorporated and goes public In 2006, Henry buys the remaining 66% of Equitable PCI Bank, the Philippines' third-largest lender, and merges it into his bank, Banco de Oro, the following year The transaction turns BDO into the second-largest financial company in the country. Philippine Daily Inquirer, one of the country's most well-known newspapers, interviews him. How have you managed to survive the Philippines' notorious boom-bust economic cycle?
0: In good times, I continue to work. In bad, I work harder. It is important to be optimistic. Many of our milestones occurred during difficult times. During martial law in 1972, At the height of heavy capital flight, I decided to build my first department store in Kiapo. After the Aquino assassination in 1983, I started SM City North Edsa. During the coup attempts from 1987 to 1989, I started to build SM Mega Mall. Then in the midst of the Asian crisis in 1997, I embarked on the greatest project of my life, the SM Mall of Asia. There are always opportunities in crisis situations.
1: For 11 straight years, Forbes ranks him as the richest person in the Philippines, with an estimated net worth of 19 billion US dollars in 2019. While he and his family take pleasure in his being named the richest man in the country, nothing pleases Henry more than watching from afar the happy faces of Filipino families enjoying shopping or even just walking in his malls. More than the wealth he has accumulated and the accolades he has amassed from over 50 years of building his business empire. Henry enjoys most the company of his family, and the sight of his productive employees, who fondly call him Tatang. On one of his regular mall visits, he chances upon a number of students who are all scholars of SM Foundation, the social civic arm of the SM group of companies. The SM scholars quickly gather around their benefactor and gleefully hoist him on their shoulders, like a hero and champion. Touched by the gesture, Henry keeps a framed copy of the photograph in his living room, like a prized trophy. On January 19, 2019, he dies in his sleep, 25 days after his 94th birthday. He is mourned by his family, who fondly remember him not as the man who fulfilled the meaning of his name and attained ultimate success, but as the man who taught by example and always reminded them that real wealth is not measured by the money one can amass, but the number of lives one touches and helps to improve. Thank you for listening to this episode. A quick note about the reenactments you just heard. In most instances, We can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations which we based on research. You know, like an episode of The Crown or Maalaala Mo Kaya. If you'd like to know more about John Gokongwei and Henry C., we have included links to articles about them in our notes.